Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by uh, Rich Rebar. Rich, it's been a while since we've done this. I think post drafts was our was our last one, but here we are, probably, hopefully, uh, getting into these a little more uh, regularly. So, uh, as we kind of sit through the uh, kind of dead, a little bit of deadness from the the off season, uh, how you doing today? Doing good. You know, we missed TA today, but that's all right. He'll be back uh, for plenty of these as we try to sneak one in, you know, post Julio trade and some news nuggets. You kind of hit upon it. This is the last dead period, kind of the NFL offseason, you know, post draft. There's really not any news. We've got the rookie OTAs coming in until training camp starts. Like it's just, unless someone gets traded like this Julio thing, like we just haven't had a lot to really kind of glom onto as far as actionable football intel. But once these training camps open, like it's going to be full steam downhill and we'll be rocking into the 2021 season. We'll be here way before we know it. Uh, so it's mid June already. Yeah. But well, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if this actually was the, the dead of the off season instead, but we're, you know, uh, working on the 2021 uh, sharp football a preview about doing uh, a lot of work on that uh, and that'll be available for pre-order soon uh, I believe should be out sometime in July uh, so you guys can look forward to that and we've been uh, a lot of work there so not the dead season uh, for us uh, quite definitely not for yet. you <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah there's a there's a, a lot of um, a lot of editing that that goes into a book that is uh, that long uh, so yeah, that's, that's what we've got going on. So while, uh, the rest of the NFL world isn't doing much, that's what we've got going on. Um, but yeah, so look out for, uh, that soon. Uh, we'll have more news on that shortly, but before today, we're just going to kind of get into some of that stuff you were talking about some of the, the little news and, and nuggets that we have. We'll talk about some OTA things that whether we're, we're buying some of this stuff we're hearing from beat writers and, and whatnot. And the, the news coming out of some of those, you know, uh, OTAs, some of the mandatory mini camps. Uh, but first we'll hit on Julio Jones because that was, you know, a big thing that happened. I'm sure you've probably already listened to in 19 podcast at least uh, about this trade, but we'll hit on it because it, it is important and it hits a ours. lot of, but not ours. Right. And yeah, so we've, we've gotten, I know, and you hopefully you have already read what we've written uh, about uh, the Julio Jones trade. I know I, on uh, last Sunday when it happened, I had a post uh, up fairly quickly. Uh, Rich had a much deeper dive uh, into the fantasy aspects of both Atlanta and the Tennessee sides uh, of this trade. So when we get into that, I knew that was going to happen. You know, when he didn't get traded immediately on June 1st, I told myself that he was going to get traded on a week. I I was like, it's going to, he's going to get traded on a weekend and he got traded on Sunday. And I was building a pergola with my father-in-law when the news happened. And like, we had just started, like we're maybe 20 minutes into this, like starting to build this pergola. We, we have all Sunday to build this. We're going to take Sunday and build it. And the news dropped and I'm just like, oh, of course, oh, of course. Like I said, so I can't, I couldn't immediately get an article out and had to wait till overnight, but I had the feeling I was like, they're going to drop this news at like the most inopportune time for me. Yeah, of course, always. <laughs> <laughs> the the amazing thing was it wasn't like a, a Friday news dump. It was a, a Sunday morning a news dump. Luckily, I was sitting around before before my day was uh, about to get started. So uh, I I had some time to to write some stuff up. So let's just actually get into the trade. So now obviously, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, you never want to be a team that is trading Julio Jones. But there were just some 
reasons they kind of had to do it. They kind of put themselves into a position where they needed to do it. A lot of moves from you know the the previous regime, but when the new uh, you know front office and coaching staff came in, they had to rework some deals and they reworked Matt Ryan. And then you're up against the cap with not a lot of money to move around. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are saying you know, they look at the salary cap and say, you know, it's, it's fake or you can easily maneuver it. And, and usually that's true. But in the time that we're in right now, where the cap went down, um, there is, and especially for the Falcons, they had so many big contracts that were not really able to move. They already had made the Matt Ryan move. Um, they might've been able to move Grady Jarrett around. You know, they already had restructured or had not even restructured, had Dante Fowler take a pay cut. Uh, so they didn't even have enough money to sign the rookie class. And when you had uh, Julio Jones on you know, 15.3 million, um, that was in guaranteed salary that they kind of had to move. And it kind of seems like they're in between in a rebuild here. Um, so he goes to a Tennessee uh, for, you know, just a, a second round pick. Uh, Tennessee desperately needed a wide receiver. Uh, all they had was, you know, A.J. Brown after Corey Davis left at free agency. You were looking at their number two wide receiver was either going to be Josh Reynolds or, you know, Des Fitzpatrick. Um, and that's probably not what you wanted to go into a season. So now A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, that is an incredibly fun uh one-two punch there at a wide receiver, but I kind of wrote about this. I know uh, Steven Ruiz for the win kind of wrote about this also after the trade. Uh, I know the athletic football show and Robert Mays kind of brought this up, but when you're looking at Tennessee, like this is a no brainer trade for the Titans, but I'm not totally sure how much it moves the needle for them in terms of being a, a much better team and competing at least in the top tier of contenders in the AFC. Yeah, this was one of those trades that was like both sides of the salary cap angle were both right. You know, Falcons had to trade him because of the salary cap and the Titans didn't have any salary cap space, but were able to trade for him, restructuring Ryan Tannehill in getting that money. Um, I'm with you. I mean, this is a, like you said, it's a no-brainer Tennessee trade for Tennessee because they didn't have any receiver depth. Hulu does make their offense better, but is it enough to say when we get into the the months of December and January and when the Titans, if they make the playoffs, does it put them ahead of any other teams in the AFC? Like, you know, you look at the chiefs, uh, the, now the Browns, the Ravens, the bills, do you feel like they're going to be able to just beat those teams adding Julio Jones? And I don't really think so. I mean, the defensive side of this, the, the, the big problems this team has are the defensive side of the ball. I mean, are they going to be able to stop any of those teams? Uh, and, and I don't really think so with the additions that they've made. They have made some upgrades and brought in some players, uh, but I don't know if those even those kind of salaries were ones that I would have particularly given out. Uh, so what remains to be seen, uh, I think that they've drafted really poorly the past, you know, four or five years, especially in the early rounds, which is kind of forced in the kind of spot that they're in as well. Um, but it's, you know, the AFC South, you're probably not going to have Deshaun Watson. The Jaguars are still trying to figure out what they're doing here. And you're one of Urban Meyer. The Colts are kind of a limbo team. I mean, we'll eventually have a conversation about the Colts in their offseason. Uh, this probably won't be the show. But the Titans can still win this division, basically, is all I'm getting to. Uh, so th- in the AFC South, the contract of the AFC South, this is a trade you make. It makes them a, a, a contender, one of the top two teams you expect to be compete to win that division. But in the scheme, terms of the AFC and the overall big picture, do are they a threat to make the Super Bowl? I don't really believe so. 
Yeah, that's really where I, I came down immediately with this trade is kind of where I'm still at right now. There's just so many unknowns for the Titans uh, right now. And obviously, Julio Jones, a huge upgrade over uh, you know, what they would have run out uh, this past year. But if you're looking at you know, efficiency-wise, is it going to be you know, as much of an upgrade over the, the type of production Corey Davis had, right? Obviously, Julio Jones yeah. is a much better receiver than Corey Davis, but in that But they've offense, operated on like a plane of efficiency that we've been, right. waiting for the, we've been waiting for it to decline and just they keep sustaining it. Right, and that, that's one of the things. So I, I wrote it after 2019, Ryan Tannehill like suddenly became like the most accurate passer into the intermediate level of the field, like 11 to 19 mm-hmm. air yards. And, I, and that was just completely different from his career norms at Miami even you know all like accuracy wise and on target rate and completion percentage he was like so much better than just about everyone else he regressed a, a little bit in 2020 but he was still able to be you know top 10 and i think if he can stay there then i think that's really good that's where julio jones you know can really kill um in that area of the field that's where you know he's so good he has those you know deep digs over uh you know the middle of the field that's that's where he was and you know we're saying you know julio jones is still really good it was i think mm-hmm. sixth in uh yards per route run uh, last year among wide receivers with at least 50 targets so he's still really good when he's, you know, uh, able to stay on the field. And I think that's, you know, part of the question there, but there's just so many other questions surrounding everything else in Tennessee. Like what, what is that offense going to look like? We don't know. Arthur Smith now is in Atlanta. Todd Downing is taking over as offensive coordinator. He had one year as an offensive coordinator with the Raiders in 2017. That was, you know, very uneven. I think they finished, uh, uh, they were, okay in DVOA, but they finished the year much worse uh, than they had started. Um, So, but we'll see whether he kind of learned from what Arthur Smith was doing. And I think just so much of what that Tennessee offense was able to do. They were really good on, on third downs. They were fantastic in the red zone. I think one of the things of taking uh, Julio out of Atlanta is we'll finally maybe see the, you know, the unstoppable force and movable object thing of Julio Jones, like not being able to score touchdowns in the red zone ever uh, with Julio, with uh, Arthur Smith, who might be one of the most creative, you know, red zone play designers. So we won't be able to see that. So whether that'll be able to sustain in Tennessee, if Julio can, you know, potentially be part of what makes that red zone offense so good. And like you said, the defense, we have no idea right now. The two starting corners are Janoris Jenkins, who you know, has been good since he went to New Orleans, uh, but he's going to be, you know, in his mid thirties now. And then the other starter is going to be Caleb Farley, who is you know, coming off, not playing in, in 2020, but also coming off a, a serious back injury. So he's really good when he's on the field. Is he going to be able to stay on the field? Uh, we don't know. And then you know, we have the Derrick Henry question. Um, obviously he's been an outlier with how efficient he has been able to be on, especially running on first and second downs, but he just had a, a workload that we haven't seen since like 2014, DeMarco Murray. Um, he had over 370 carries and that's kind of been the, you know, the cutoff that football outsiders had it called the curse of 370. That, that was one of the, first things they came out with and running backs who got over that carry load in the regular season usually you're either much less efficient in the following year or you know break down due to injury so we'll see you know Derek Henry is a bit of an outlier we don't want to say he's magically going to not be good anymore but you don't know um 
relying on, on a type of running back like that and as heavy as they do. Um, are, is that offense still going to be able to be as efficient as it was if they're still so run heavy on, on first and second down? There's just so, yeah, so many things for this Titan side that there's, there's so many questions that Julio himself does not answer. So uh, like we said, it's a no brainer when you can add someone like Julio Jones, but in the context of the Titans, they just had so many other questions uh, that adding someone like Julio just doesn't magically uh, make them a top tier contender, especially in the AFC. Uh, where, like you said, you have those teams like, you know, the Chiefs, the, the Browns, um, even the, the Ravens. Uh, so, but like you said also, and I noted this in uh, the article I put up, they probably should be the favorite in the AFC South. Like that, that's not a hard division to win uh, right now. Like you said, with the Colts, that's a lot relying on Carson Wentz. We have no idea what Carson Wentz is right now. The Jaguars, we have no idea. Then, you know, we don't even really need to bring up the Texans. Um, <laughs> so oh, I think, but what makes this interesting right now is how the Falcons are a little bit of in an in-between stage here. They're kind of starting their rebuild by the getting a little younger at some positions, but with Matt Ryan and that restructured deal, they have him kind of really on the books for the next two years. Um, they could maybe move him uh, next year. Uh, so uh, I know you, you know, took a, a much deeper uh, look at this for, you know, what the fantasy and, and how some of these uh, moves that are going to work out. So uh, how are you feeling about what the Falcons might look like on offense uh, post Julio Jones? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here. And then, you know, before the draft, I was pretty much banging the drum that the Falcons needed to trade out of pick number four. And this doesn't really, adding this on in hindsight, doesn't make me feel any different about that, you know, especially the way this is all played out. You know, you don't get a quarterback. You take the highest uh, tight end prospect in NFL history um, would, I've no, this is, it's not a, a, an attack on Kyle Pitts. It's just from a, a team building structure stance. Like you have to trade out of that spot instead of take a tight end, especially if you're going to trade Julio Jones for uh, a second round pick. Like you just need to acquire more fu- future picks than if that's the play, uh, which they could have probably done. We've seen like the video of like the Lions potentially calling up for them. And we don't really know what the official offer was, or if there even was an official offer, but they, you know, kind of said, no, we're, we've got this pick locked in. We're taking him. We're taking Kyle Pitts. Um, but the Falcons are really behind the eight ball for multiple seasons here. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and what kind of turnaround Arthur Smith can have. Cause they are just gouged on the defensive side of the ball that all their money's tied into like basically five players over the next two years. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they can pivot out of this. They have to give Calvin Ridley a huge contract extension as well, you know, uh, coming up because he's playing his fifth year option. So the fallout here is going to be interesting and you still might need a quarterback, but at the end of the day, like, you know, in a year you might need a quarterback, but this, this Falcons offense was dreadful last year with Julio off the field. I mean, Matt Ryan and in terms of, you know, their efficiency as an offense and totality, uh, Matt Ryan's, you know, completion, uh, completion percentage over expectation, it dropped to minus 1.1% when Julio was off the field on any snap, as opposed to three and eight point six percent higher uh, when he was on the field. Uh, he threw 14 touchdowns when, to eight interceptions with Julio off the field, as opposed to 13 touchdowns and three interceptions with him on the field. Just a lot more efficient offense. Now, any splits that the Falcons had last year are grain of salt because they didn't have Kyle Pitts. When you remove Julio, then it elevated, you know, Christian Blake. Like old media Zacchaeus, Russell Gage, and all those guys. Now they will at least have Kyle Pitts. Um, and you've already seen like 
Kyle Pitts and these early rookie OTAs getting moved around and used all over the place. Who knew they took a guy at four and were actually going to use him. Uh, but, you know, hey, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, Calvin Ridley obviously gets a little bump, but you see Calvin Ridley has the foot surgery this week. You don't feel good about that. You know, you, you trade Julio Jones and the guy that's going to take over and be your future wide receiver one is already having foot surgery. No matter how minor uh, it could be, it's still, you don't feel good about it. Um, so this Falcons team is really in it interesting situation I think if they really believe Russell Gage is good they're also going to be behind the eight ball here as well if they don't extend him like if you believe Russell Gage can be an effective player for you you have to extend him now because he's in his contract year uh, expiring contract you have to find a way to get him signed because if he comes out and plays and elevates his stock not only do you have to give Calvin Ridley a contract extension you'll need to give Russell Gage one as well and he might be squeezed out and then you're chasing the position a productive player you had this season again so I mean they're really in like a a, a real kind of you know turnstile of kind of transition here I don't think that they have a great plan or if they even have a true plan right now that they're following um and this team takes a significant hit they also lose uh an indoor game because they play a home game in London and then their extra game this season and the 17 game schedule is a road game. So they're not even indoors for as much as they typically are in a, in a regular season as well to kind of help their offense be in a better scoring environment. Um, it, it, it's set up to be a pretty tough year, I think for the Falcons uh, overall. Yeah. Like you said, the, the plan is weird. I think they, they still have the ability to potentially be a very fun offense you know matt ryan is still good right so we're not taking that away from him when he's able to do i think just the ability to go from dirt cutter who was coordinating the offense uh, over the past couple of years to arthur smith uh, is going to help a lot i think we'll see a lot of uh some of the the play action concepts that you know matt ryan liked a lot uh, under kyle shanahan so i think that part of the offense uh is going to be much better you do have potentially calvin ridley who is you know a top 15 wide receiver at least right now, I think maybe fair to say. Um, so you do have that. You, you, like you said, you're going to have the Kyle Pitt. So you, you are going to be able to have some of this, you know, positional flexibility, especially if you're looking at, you know, some of the 12 personnel they're going to be able to have with uh, Hayden Hurst on the field. Uh, I think that could potentially be um, an advantage for uh, the Falcons, especially with Pitts, where you can either have him in line. It's going to look like it's a very heavy personnel or you can split uh, Pitts out wide and it's going to basically act like 11 personnel uh, with Kyle Pitts. So I think that's, that's part of what it can be. So it's going to be a potentially fun offense. Like you said, the, the defense not going to be great. Although, we're kind of following some of these late season Falcons defensive splits that they have, you know, every, every year after, you know, Dan Quinn gives up play calling and someone else takes over the Falcons look good on defense for the second half of the year. And then Dan Quinn takes over uh, defensive play calling again to start the next season. And then the, the cycle uh, continues. It, no Dan Quinn this year. So the Falcons looked much better uh, in the second half of last season, whether that's going to, you know, translate to splits for the second half of the season, you know, rarely actually, you know, translate over to the next season because you know splits are just kind of splits when you're looking at it and they don't really you know project uh as well into the next year but if you're looking at that there there's still some talent there grady jarrett still really good and you know when you're not you know aaron donald but when you have a guy like that who can disrupt the interior kind of makes a lot of other things around him easier they have you know some uh you know 
interesting young guys. So they could potentially uh, be starting uh, a bit of a, a rebuild quicker than we might expect them to be. I don't, they're not going to be terrible, which I think is part of the point, right? They're, they're probably not going to be this top five team. Uh, again, in, in terms of draft picks. So when you're looking at what that quarterback question is, they're probably going to be one of these teams that might have to trade up. Uh, and, and if they're going to be uh, aggressive in getting that next quarterback after Matt Ryan. So uh, we'll see there. So I think we can kind of take this conversation and start to spin it into what we're hearing from some of these, you know, offseason practices. Cause I think we have been hearing from what Kyle Pitts has been doing in practice where it's, you know, he's lining up all over the place. They're using them in all these wacky formations. Like, no, of course they are. Uh, it's, it's a mini camp. You have this guy who can win from basically all over. Um, so for Pitts uh, specifically, how, how are we feeling about what he could potentially do? Uh, are we buying that he's going to be, you know, moved all over the place or, or are we just looking at what, uh, you know, this is just kind of, you know, overhyping, uh, obviously uh, the best rookie that uh, the Falcons have right now, who's going to be uh, taking uh, a much bigger role than a, a normal, you know, even first rounder rookie tight end would take. Yeah, I mean, they better be. I mean, you took him four, <laughs> four overall. You better have a plan. I know that doesn't always happen in the NFL. We've seen it last year with Henry Ruggs. Uh, <laughs> the Raiders took him and completely used him in a different manner than he was used. Yeah, to let's just use him completely differently than he was succeeded in college. Well, I mean, uh, I've been pro Kyle Pitts the entire time, not just from, you know, uh, a reality stance, uh, from, a, from a fantasy stance as well. For him potentially having one of the best rookie seasons, you know, potentially ever, especially when you add a 17th game of counting stats on, if he can make it to the season healthy, what he can do. Now you just get rid of an, an alpha target hog like uh, Julio Jones and you plug him in. The dynamic here, it's going to be interesting, is we're going to get the Arthur Smith answer, right? Like for both sides of this trade. We're going to find out how much of an impact Arthur Smith had in the resurrection of Ryan Tannehill and how much uh, he can get credit for in elevating an offense that takes a downgrade. Because no matter what way you, you shake this out, the Falcons' offensive personnel is relatively the same as it was last year, except for you change Julio Jones or Kyle Pitts. And asking Kyle Pitts year one as a rookie to be Julio Jones is a lot to ask. It's a, it's a large void to fill. Um, so we're going to, we're going to get an answer on Arthur Smith and his impact in both situations pretty early. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to buy this with Kyle Pitts, especially after the trade, like he's a, he's going to be a focal point of their passing game. And, and if this foot thing with Calvin Ridley is something more than it's let on right now in June, when we get to August, um, they're going to need him even a, a step further. Um, but I think we'll see him, you know, move, move around a lot. He played just, you know, what, 57.4% of his career snaps at Florida came in line. So he's going to basically be their de facto slot receiver. We'll see him move outside. Uh, we'll see him get used in the red zone. Uh, yeah, totally buying uh, the narrative of Kyle Pitts being a guy that this Falcons passing offense is going to lean on right out of the box. Yeah, it's just, I'm really interested to see how they are going to use him. I think he has a, a lot of value uh, in the NFL as an inline player um, where you can kind of, you know, disguise what you're going to be doing, especially, you know, depending on the other personnel on the field. But like you said, how often he's split out wide. I know when I was looking at the draft, um, yards per route run as an isolated receiver. So when you are the lone guy and, you know, we know that's what, the Kansas city chiefs like to do with Travis Kelsey a lot. And that makes some of their uh, offense really explosive. When you have the three by one set, Kelsey is the ISO guy on the one side of the field. And then you have, you know, the Tyree kill and Nicole Harbin, whatever. And obviously, you know, Atlanta does not currently have 
uh, the three wide receivers who are going to, you know, put the fear into opposing defenses like a, a Tyreek Hill and Michael Hardman um, might on the opposite side of the field. But uh, Kyle Pitts was 12th in yards per uh, route run. Um, as an isolated receiver uh, last year, and that he had the same uh, yards per route run as Devontae Smith. Uh, and the fact that he had uh, at least 20 targets in that as a tight end is uh, pretty insane. So I think he can be used in that way. So I think, you know, they're basically going to be forced uh, to be a little creative. And I think Arthur Smith already is there. Uh, he's been so good at designing these um you know, routes that are going to get guys open and into space, uh, figure out ways to get yards after the catch into like the intermediate range too. I think that was so much uh, about what uh, made Corey Davis really good uh, last year, even uh, the year prior where he didn't have the the total yardage. Uh, he was still finding those ways to get Corey Davis into the intermediate areas uh, and, um, and getting yards after the catch in that area where the yards after the catch always, it isn't always uh, very high. So I think we're, we're going to see a, a lot of open space there that uh, the Falcons are going to be able to uh, take advantage of. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what that's going on. I'm not sure if it's going to win a lot of games, uh, but uh, that's, I think, where the Falcons are going to be. Um, as we uh, move on here, let's, let's talk about some, some other guys that uh, we might be uh, buying into. Uh, another guy who's been, you know, uh, been used or reported to be used uh, all around is Antonio Gibson uh, in Washington. Uh, when he was at Memphis, it was kind of just, oh, he was all over the place. It was kind of a slot receiver. And we had, you know, 70 something carries as an actual running back. The, he was, you know, a, very much a running back uh, last year, but this year, apparently in camp, getting more uh, run as a, uh, a pass catcher. That was something that went to uh, J.D. McKissick a lot. And I think with Ryan Patrick at quarterback, we're not going to get uh, a billion uh negative two air yard passes to JD McKissick uh, in the Washington offense this year. So uh, are you buying the, uh, the Antonio Gibson um, just uh, super usage uh, this year as we're getting reports from camp about that? Gibson's rookie season, I think was uh, a total opposite of what we kind of thought it might be, you know, coming into last season, you know, he, he was, he only had 33 total carries at Memphis was used more as like a slot receiver. We thought maybe he'd be using the passing game a lot as a rookie and then kind of be nursed along in the running game. Uh, and it was a total opposite. They just completely learned on, let him learn the position as being like a, an early down banger and grinder. Uh, and he answered that. I mean, he had 170 carries as a rookie in 14 games, really, you know, essentially 13 because he got hurt early in that Pittsburgh game with turf toe uh, and was really productive. 4.7 yards per carry and 11 rushing touchdowns as a rookie. Um, and just learn to play like that, that aspect of the game that we thought was the biggest question mark of coming in as a rookie. And they didn't use him in the passing game at all. I mean, he had 11 touches on third down all season long. And uh, that's something we, you know, anticipate to flip in year two. I mean, J.D. McKissick's a really solid player. He's a really solid role player in the NFL at all his stops in Detroit and Seattle prior to Washington. But he's also not like a cornerstone offensive piece. Like, you, you cannot go into your uh, offensive approach in the offseason and say, we are willingly want want to give J.D. McKissick another 110 targets. Like that's J.D. McKissick should football. never have 100 targets <laughs> in a season. Well, there was a, remember last year there was a two-week span where he had 30. He had 14 and 15 in back-to-back games. Uh, he had 29 targets in a two-game span. As someone who has rewatched that Washington offense uh, for the Football Outsiders Almanac? I can tell you there have been a lot of unnecessary throws to JD McKissick in that offense that are just never need to be done again. 
But he's Antonio Gibson's one of these guys you should anticipate. Like you said, he, he was a kind of a raw player transitioning to the NFL. They got him to learn the, the one aspect of the position we thought was the biggest question mark, and he answered that. Now you can kind of expand what we know he can kind of already do. The one question is, because the coaching staff – able to get over the mental hurdle of the pass protection angle because he was horrible again in pass protection as a rookie. He was horrible at it in Memphis. Uh, but, you know, the coaches tend to misnomer these guys that can't pass protect by taking them off the field in passing situations when, in fact, more often than not in those situations, running backs are just running pass routes. They're not in pass protection. Um, you actually pass block more typically in early down situations than you would in, in a third down situation where you're not having to do a blitz pickup. You're running a route you're releasing. Um, so we'll see if they can get over that mental hurdle and if he makes a true improvement in that area because that could still be the one thing where – Coaching staffs just have that mental block, man. They can't. And we've seen that happen with the Chiefs with Clyde Zolaire as a rookie, too. We'll see if that year two, that is another problem that he, he carries over. Um, and we'll see that with some of the other rookies, like a Travis Etienne and some other guys. But uh, that's really the only one wart that Gibson has is that pass protection angle. And we'll see if he transitions to a full three-down guy. But from a Washington stance, like, they absolutely want to take this a step further in year two and incorporate some of his playmaking ability and, and what he did in, in the open field with Memphis and make that a part of their offense moving forward. I have to assume that's why they drafted him, you know, and why they banged the drum for taking him where they did. Yeah, you would think. I think one of the interesting things, and when you bring up the pass protection, is how often Washington was in empty last year they were at six in the percentage of their offensive snaps that came in empty and a lot of that was because you know uh Dwayne Haskins really uh couldn't do much uh and helped him read the defense Alex Smith really was just going to get the ball out as quick as humanly possible uh so that just got more guys uh into routes and slowed down the pass rush a little bit gave him some more options um but the Dolphins uh, last year were eighth. Uh, they were just right behind. So Ryan Fitzpatrick did have uh, some of those snaps uh, in empty. I'm, I'm a little weary. We'll, we'll probably get to this conversation in, in a later episode. I'm a little weary about Ryan Fitzpatrick um, helming an offense for a full season. Uh, so much of his suggest, uh, so much of his, uh, you know progress last year was just being incredible under pressure. Um, he had more yards per attempt under pressure than he did from a clean pocket. And that's something that's just uh, not sustainable. Uh, so we'll see how that translates uh, into uh, another season with another team. Uh, but with Washington being in empty so often, I think that helps Antonio Gibson uh, in the passing game where he won't have to pass protect uh, there. He'll be able to, you know, kind of get into space there. And, you know, Washington used a lot of motion uh, last year. Oh, yeah. Used a lot of jet motion. They they tried some stuff. It didn't really work because of the quarterbacks um, in in the passing game. In the run game, it worked really well. Antonio Gibson did really well when there were kind of they were opening some gaps uh, for him with jet motion. I, I uh, had a. Um, I tweeted something out yesterday about uh, rushing touchdowns on plays with jet motion. Antonio Gibson had three and that was uh, tied for second in the league um, along with Alvin Kamara and uh, my favorite Jared Goff um, was also had three rushing touchdowns with jet motion, um, which uh, just to go on a slight tangent here was uh, amazing just because the Rams used jet motion so often when they were running, uh, they kept it on their quarterback sneaks from like the two yard line. It was great. It did absolutely nothing to open up a gap for the quarterback sneaks, but just to watch it uh, with jet motion was great. And then uh, J.K. Dobbins had four touchdowns. He led the league. So, but that was another thing where, you know, Antonio Gibson's were, you know, they were long touchdowns. Uh, there were where that motion was opening a gap. It got the defense trying to figure out where they were going to go. So I, I think he is going to be a uh, much bigger a part of that 
uh, offense going forward. And you know, some other things as we touch on, you know, Washington, uh, Diami Brown caught a, a long touchdown. Uh, and so we're just all, all we're looking is for a confirmation bias uh, with these early uh, uh, OTA and, and mini camp uh, reports. So Diami Brown uh, going to be uh, the, the greatest deep threat um, that has uh, ever come out. Um, so uh, let's, so let's talk about some, some other deep passes because uh, elsewhere in the NFC, um, we're getting a uh, Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields uh, connection early on some deep passes. And uh, I, I don't think we need many reports uh, on Justin Fields being a great deep passer for us to believe uh, that to be true. I wrote about that uh, before the draft about pretty much every quarterback who was going to be drafted early uh, in this class was a great deep passer. Justin Fields was one of the best, uh, also a great intermediate passer. I think we're also seeing that uh, come to fruition uh, early in uh, Bears uh, practices also. So uh one, are we buying uh, Justin Fields uh, looking as good as he's been reported? And then are we also buying uh, what we're seeing with uh, Darnell Mooney potentially, you know, unlocked with uh, a better deep passer and just a better quarterback in general? Well, a- anyone that's listened to this show, or thought, like everyone knows the pro Justin Fields camp all of us have been in. So it's just a matter of when he gets on the field and how long Matt Nagy can string along the notion that Andy Dalton is, you know, is going to start games. And, you know, maybe week one when they play the Rams, uh, it's not Justin Fields. But immediately after that, you know, it should be pretty much uh, in contention if he doesn't win the job. I I mean, Sunday Night Night Football needs Andy Dalton. I don't don't know what. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that they should just swerve into it, especially if a guy like Matt Nagy, when you know like this is the time, like you got to swerve into it and just start and just start him. Especially when we saw, you know, Andy Dalton's performance with a better, you know, offensive weaponry surrounding him with the Cowboys last year, and just how how much he struggled uh, as a passer, and, and you know, stepping into a situation where the the personnel is definitely weaker on the Chicago offense, you're going to need that to open up Justin Fields and use his rushing ability in your offense as well. Uh, we've seen them have a little bit of success with that with Mitchell Trubisky in the Matt Nagy play calling days. Um, but, you know, eventually Trubisky's, you know, actual shortcomings eventually kind of uh, derailed anything that they would try to do. I think the book's still open on Matt Nagy. I mean, I, all these coaches, uh, I tend not to go over the overboard with them on being good or bad because so much is dictated by their actual true personnel. And Matt Nagy, since he's been in Chicago, uh, you know, compared to what he was with in Kansas City with Andy Reid, is it's been a step down. There's been it's a significant step down in terms of talent. So you know, having a guy like Justin Fields, I think, can make a lot of coordinators look a lot better in the eyes of the public. Uh, so we'll see what Matt Nagy can do with him when he eventually takes over. And he should start. I mean, you look at since 2008, we've had 39 quarters quarterbacks taken in the first round 17 of them immediately started in week one 26 of those players uh, were starting by week four of the season 29 of those players started more than half their games as a rookie just Jake Locker and Jordan Love last year the only two guys that didn't start any games as a rookie that were taken in the first round over his band so we need to anticipate Justin Fields going to play he's probably going to play early and then what that really does for this offense um, outside of being able to use mobility is you get a functional passer now for Darnell Mooney a guy that they've the staff has been banging the drum for saying like, Hey, this guy was open a lot last year. We couldn't get him the football. Uh, he's, this is a guy that ran a four, three, eight at the combine last year and averaged 10.3 yards per catch as a rookie. 
Like that's that that can't happen. Like for a guy that has his the the archetype of receiver he is, he's not a guy that you're going to be giving to like drags and stuff like that and using uh on a lot of in cutting routes. Like you're a guy you want to get him with deep outs, comebacks, uh you know, and and nine routes. He had 23 targets over 15 yards downfield, over 20 yards downfield last year. That was 15th in the NFL amongst all NFL players. You expect that for the archetype he is. He caught just four of those targets. Just six were deemed catchable. Uh, that was 52nd in the league in terms of catch ball rate. Now you give him a guy like Justin Fields, a guy that can move the ball downfield. Who also a guy that you've talked about a lot of a lot of times. He's looking for that ball. He's looking for the downfield throw. And maybe the Bears can yep. coax out some more intermediate throws for him and, and taking the check down a little bit. But Justin Fields is a guy that. He's dialed up, man. He's going to stand in there and take hits and throw that ball down the field. He, you, you highlighted he was sixth uh, amongst all prospects since 2016 and on target rate on those throws. So that can give a guy like Darnell Mooney and this Bears offense another avenue that they just didn't have last year with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Yeah, it should unlock the, so much. I think it's you know it's similar thing to what we talked about uh, you know Trey Lance in the San Francisco offense. Like those deep throws and ones to the outside just did not exist in the San Francisco offense with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's kind of the same thing uh, with the, and the Ravens the Bears. are doing it this year too, probably. Yeah, hopefully that would that would be nice. They're <laughs> setting themselves up to potentially you know do that. But yeah, like you said, these these limited quarterbacks. That's that's where uh, that that is really, you know, showing up in the offense, those deep throws to the outside. Um, they just, when you're a limited quarterback, you just are, are not able to hit those throws consistently. And eventually they just disappear from the offense. And those are the types of throws that can, you know, be those explosive plays that so many of those offenses are missing. But like you said, Justin Fields is a, a great a deep receiver that Ohio state offense and why I think some of the, those processing, um, you know, things were a knock on him was because it was set up to be a vertical offense. And I think, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the post-draft show is I'm really fascinated in how the Chicago offense might adjust because when, uh, you know, Bill Lazor took over the play calling uh, in, you know, the, the late part of last year, they went to a more Shanahanian, you know, wide zone system that made a lot of things easier on Trubisky. He didn't play well, but there were just so many open uh, you know, receivers and open plays that they were able to, you know, get some yards after the catch uh, on some short throws. They were able to open up that intermediate area a little more. So the production uh, was much better. And I think I would like to see uh, Justin Fields take that type of offense uh, when he gets in there. So those intermediate throws are going to be there. Those deep throws are going to be there, you know, off play action, off some bootlegs. Uh, that's going to, you know, be a lot of fun. That's going to play to his strengths. And I think it's going to, you know, open up some short area uh, where he did struggle a little bit at Ohio State, but I, I think that's going to be there, and I think Darnell Mooney is going to be a guy who's able to um, you know, take advantage of, of those areas and that type of offense also uh, as a guy who's going to be able to get open. Like you said, he was open uh, a bunch last year, and uh, for a guy who's you know, taking uh, day three, uh, that's you know, as much as you can ask for a wide receiver. He's clearly overtaken you know, Anthony Miller uh, in that rotation, so he should be the number two guy, and if they're going to throw as much as we probably think they are, uh, that's a guy that's going to get, you know, a fair amount of targets. And then, you know, but the Matt Nagy thing is, is real interesting to me. Cause I just, I, like you said, I have no idea what Matt Nagy 
is. He's supposed to be this good offensive mind, but you know, when we saw that that like really unsustainable Mitchell Trubisky season where we all knew that just wasn't going to happen uh, the yeah. following year, instead of fixing the offense, like you said, they haven't had the personnel, but he's also kind of been part of that. They had this offense that you know got them to the playoffs, but we all knew wasn't good. And he spent the entire offseason uh, instead of fixing the offense being uh, bringing in a billion kickers and making a charade of them all uh, kicking from the spot of the double doink. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. They spent the entire offseason fixated on a kicker instead of potentially making that offense better, and the offense eventually collapsed, and that's brought us to where they are now. So uh, I'm not completely sold on on that coaching staff, but I think uh, the offensive playmakers that they do have right now, especially once Fields is the quarterback, are going to be much better for that offense, better for the wide receivers. Uh, who are there too. Um, so while we're looking around, uh, do you have uh, any other guys that have been standing out from, uh, from some, you know, uh, these very early uh, camp reports that you're, uh, you're looking at and, and hoping uh, at least that maybe uh, what we're hearing uh, is going to translate into the actual regular season? Well, t- well two guys. Uh, well, one is that, you know, Anthony Lynn just keeps talking about bringing in more running backs and using running backs and, you know, how that pertains to your year two DeAndre Swift. And then uh, we've seen a lot of reports already from early Chargers camp about, you know, the role Mike Williams is going to have in this new offense. I think that one is interesting because I've always been a big Mike guy. I've always liked him. He's just, he's my archetype of receiver, that big body guy that can win downfield and win in the red zone. But, you know, he's always played with Keenan Allen, you know, a guy that's just been a target succubus for good reason. Keenan Allen's a really good player, but I I have a a problem completely latching onto this, not because I've been burned by big Mike before, but, when you look at the the way the X receiver was used, uh, you know, they talk about it in the Joe Lombardi system. Well, the last time Joe Lombardi was an offensive coordinator, he had Calvin Johnson. Like, uh, you know, of course your X receiver is going to get a lot of use when he's Calvin Johnson. And when you look at these, the Saints teams he's been attached to, they've actually used their X receiver in a different manner than where Mike Williams wins. You know, you think about Marcus Colston and Michael Thomas, where those guys win are not the areas where Mike Williams has won, you know, to to this point in his career. Can he win in that area? I think he's a little better uh, in that area. There's a reason he got drafted in the top 10 overall, not only because of a reach, but uh, I think there's a little more nuance to his game than we've seen so far in the first four years of his career. But is he Michael Thomas and Marcus Colston? No, he's not. He's not that kind of intermediate receiver. He's way more of a, over the top vertical guy than those guys were. So I do have a hard time just pigeonholing what the Lombardi offense is one that the one that he called, and then the ones he's been attached to completely rolling over his transitive property for Big Mike being like in this guy that's going to be really leaned on. But without Hunter Henry on this roster, you just replace him with a 34 year old Jared Cook. Uh, Josh Palmer was a very lackluster profile, you know, wide receiver coming out of Tennessee. Uh, There still really isn't a lot on the depth chart in this passing game that if the Chargers are going to be more aggressive, which they should, I mean, Justin Herbert was uh, with the bottom of the league and first down passing rate, uh, you know, in the NFL last year and was put in bad spots continuously. And he just over, over exceeded a situation. Uh, if they're going to be more aggressive this season, then, then Mike Williams is probably going to have a larger role than he had uh, last year. And he said, he said, hasn't had more than 90 targets in any season yet. Yeah. Like you said, it's, I think we, we do that a little too often where we take a, a previous offense and try to uh, completely um, just, transpose it to Shanahan was like this for a while remember the Shanahan x receiver narrative that was a thing for years right yeah it's the 
Uh, yeah, I, we, we do that way too often. I think we've seen that the best coaches uh, in the NFL are able to adjust what they do for the players that they have. So, you know, when you have uh, a guy like uh, Michael Williams, uh, obviously not going to be Calvin Johnson, but like you said, also not going to be you know, Michael Thomas. So I don't think we're going to see 100 slant targets uh, for uh, Michael Williams uh, uh, with the Chargers. Um, and, you know, the reason why... Michael Thomas was able to do that is because he, he won on those slants, right? It's not that he's not only able to win on those slants. He's like, was the most efficient receiver and made those positive plays so often. I, I wrote about that, I think a couple of years ago um, at this point. So obviously it's not going to, it's not a one-to-one, you know, translatable thing, but like you said, when we see, you know, Justin Herbert can, can throw that, you know, intermediate and deep ball. And he actually didn't do it as much as you would think. His ADOT was a little lower uh, than you would think of, you know, the highlight plays. I think you feel like you play in your head of what Justin Herbert did uh, last year were all these deep bombs, but they, they didn't happen as often. They threw the would, backs a ton. A ton. And this, um, this system will throw the backs a ton too. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of Austin Eckler targets. There's going to be a lot of, you know, Keenan Allen targets uh, from the slot on, on those slants, but he's so uh, good on that. Also, you know, he does fall in that category where that makes sense to throw him those targets. But I, I think when you're opening up, like you said, these good offenses are getting these guys uh, open uh, down the field to the outside. That is where, you know, Mike Williams wins. And I think if well, a full season of a full off season of Justin Herbert coming in as a starter might get some of those reps. And I think we'll, we'll see, you know, some of those young quarterbacks when they first go in, they're either trigger shy uh, to try to throw uh, to some of these guys that aren't, um, you know, the windows are smaller. Right. The windows are much smaller. So you have a guy like Mike Williams, probably not going to be three yards behind his defender um, at any point thrown down the field. So there's got to be a, a little more trust there. So I think we might see that relationship, um, you know, grow a little more while there's, you know, more time to, to work that out. Justin Herbert getting work with the ones uh, while he's, you know, in, in all of these OTAs and, and mini camps and you know, going into training camp. So yeah, I, I think I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what Mike Williams is going to be in a hundred target guy. Cause I think they, they do like some of their other, you know, deep options. Like you said, I know they did draft Justin Palmer higher than, you know, I thought he would, but they have guys like, you know, Jalen Guyton who Guyton, was yeah. able to, uh, you know, they had some of his, you know, deep, deep crossers from the slot last year. And he was able to, you know, spring for some of those big plays. So I, there's, there is a lot going on. And, and Jared Cook was uh, the saints deep threat last year. <laughs> for the um, past two years yeah so that was you know they kind of by default because they had no one else to do that but uh you know he was able to uh you know win on those type of routes so i think we will see uh some more vertical elements uh, to this chargers offense so i think that is going to be uh uh fun to to watch and, and see how that develops going forward yeah, I mean, this is a team uh, when I think we when we get to them in the, the book portion, like it's going to be a lot of looking back on just all the things that Justin Herbert overcame as a rookie uh, to have that season, which is crazy. You think about how impressive his season was with, with the state of that offensive line uh, and how much of that's been upgraded this offseason. And then just the, the consistent being placed in just terrible situations last year. Uh, he was ahead of uh, only Jimmy Garoppolo and rate of passes to come uh, on second and third down, needing seven or more yards uh, <laughs> in the NFL. So uh, we'll look back on this, I think, and look at this rookie season and just say, like, how truly special it was when you put into context what he did last year in this offense. 
Yeah, and I think it's also going to be uh, a bit of a you know a, a give and take a little bit because he's probably to, going to regress in, in some areas. He was Definitely also another, yeah, he was also <laughs> another player who was great under pressure, and I don't think we'll you know be able to completely project that he's going to be one of the best players under pressure uh, going forward. But he was still you know still above average from a clean pocket, so it's not like that was completely everything he did was under pressure. But he also hopefully be under pressure less uh, he'll probably be able to you know develop in, in some areas so there's going to be a give and take and even where if you know the numbers aren't as good uh, as they were uh, last season um he's still going to develop in some areas and might just be a better quarterback overall and i think that's that's going to help uh with a guy like mike williams uh, especially who can potentially be there and uh interesting because mike williams playing uh under that fifth year option right now it's about a 15 million dollars so we'll Oh, to see whether you know that's something that the Chargers want to, um, you know, invest in. They're already with you know uh, with Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Williams. They have like thirty million dollars invested in twenty twenty one for their top two receivers. So that already puts them up mm-hmm. uh, as like one of the top five teams in wide receiver spending just by having two guys. Um, making that much money on the cap. So, um, you know, Mike Williams has, has a little bit to play for uh, also. Yeah. So I think that, that that part of it is going to uh, come in. Um, so as we do that, I think, you know, those are the players uh, that I think we've gotten the most news on so far. And we'll, uh, we'll keep hearing some guys. And I think most teams are, are taking a bit of a break here uh, until they get into training camps for uh, July. So we'll be, you know, when we come back, we'll be, you know, starting to, to preview some of this stuff, not as reactionary, but as, since we're hearing news, we figured we'd, you know, get on here and, and break some of it down. What we've been hearing, what, what we hopefully uh, do like from some of these reports we have been hearing. Uh, so uh, like I said, at the start of the show, our hope is to uh, become in a little more normal schedule here. Uh, we'll be, you know, doing some fantasy stuff, doing some analysis stuff, probably doing some betting stuff, and you know, uh, as you would expect from uh, our site, just kind of all three of those uh, combined. So um, we're going to end uh, today's show here. I'd like to thank you guys for uh, listening. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find all of his work uh, on the site. He's been, you know, killing it with uh, dynasty stuff. There's been rankings. There's been uh, all kinds of things uh, going up on the site. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Uh, I've also had some stuff going up on the site. We'll be having some more there also. So uh, we will be coming to you more regularly. Hopefully we'd like to thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you again soon. I'm not afraid of